Good morning. Can you turn to, um, with me to Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 4? And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when, the, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and bro your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Desi. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, as we sang, by the power of your spirit and your word, draw us near, we pray. Draw us near as we listen to this parable and sit at the feet of Jesus as he teaches us today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are at a turning point in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke. We're at a turning point. Gone are the days for Jesus and his disciples as we continue now. Gone are the days when he was speaking to a small crowd and kind of flying under the radar. <laughs> Gone are the days when his disciples could fellowship with him and kind of meet and, and train as apprentices, as disciples uninterrupted. As Luke really makes clear here with the setting of the parable teaching in chapter 8, look at verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him. He teaches in a parable. We begin a section that will wrap up in the, at the end of May, right before I head on my sabbatical for a few months. And this section 
Luke culminates at the turning point in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9, verse 20, when Peter says, or Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. It's a turning point in Luke's Gospel. It's an important moment for the disciples, these new followers. And so we enter into a really critical, crucial section of this Gospel. This morning we're going to hear some hard words for Jesus. That's surprising. Aren't his words normally kind of challenging to us? It's understandable as he taught these massive crowds that are mentioned in verse 4 here from town after town that some would be upset because his words did not let any single person hide behind any religious veneer, any sense of kind of showy display of piety. He cuts straight to the heart this morning as he addresses the heart. As he addresses the various responses to his message in this parable, you might know of the four soils, which are responses from the heart, different responses to Jesus. So this morning he tells a parable about the state of our hearts, and he commends the heart that responds in obedience and patient faith to the word of God. But how do we get that kind of heart? Or if you have that kind of heart, how does it grow? How does it soften? How does it become better prepared to produce more of that fruit that Jesus talks about in this agricultural story? How do we grow and pursue obedience and patient faith from our deepest part, our deepest self? It's more than just knowing the truth, even as David just said in the song we sang, or even I would say more than even just believing the truth. It's how do we grow in doing the truth? And what we're going to see today is that it's all in the family. It's all in the family. We'll talk about that and unpack that as we go. As Jesus says in, in verse 21, my mother, family, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's all in a family connection. What's that phrase? It's who you know. <laughs> it's who you know. Let's look this morning at how to have a heart for the family. We're going to look at the parable first. Then we're going to look at what's at stake in this parable, and then kind of the answer to the parable, the, the challenge of the heart, okay? The parable, what's at stake, and then the answer. So get your outline open there. I got one again for you today after not having one. I think that was last week. We've got an outline. For those of you who like to fill in, let's have our Bibles open to Luke 7. I hope you have one with you, whether it's a hard copy or on your tablet or phone. That's important to have it, to look at, and you want to make sure I'm saying what's in it, right? I hope so. Let's take a look at a first of a few truths this morning. Here's what we're going to see. The same seed goes out to all in this parable. It's the state of the soil that matters in this parable. Okay, as we get to this for the seed, the soil, the, seed, the same seed goes out to all. What matters in this parable is the state of the soil. So as we heard the parable read, and then Jesus gives an explanation, the seed is, in this parable, the word of God. His truth, his word, what he's revealed to us, the message of Jesus, the gospel, you could call it any of those things, which is compared to a light. A light in a dark place, as verses 16 through 18 say, that, that shines and reveals everything. Have you ever had to come up here on this stage, but these lights are bright. They're really bright. But I'm so thankful for these because they used to be back there on the railing. I was blinded every week. I had no idea who was here. We finally got them up there, so uh, I can now see you, but they're, they're there. They're bright. 
bright lights. They light things up, don't they? Yeah. Uh, they light it up. And, and the gospel, the word, is compared to a light in this story that shines. So let's talk about the importance of the word. The importance of the word in this parable, the seed, right? A sower went out to sow seed, and, and some fell along different paths, as you heard in the story, as Jesus told it. And this would have been a fam- really familiar ag- uh, metaphor story in this agricultural culture. Or some of you that have grown up in our outskirts of Canby and had your own farms. Some fell on the pathway, some fell on the rock, some on the thorns, and some on the good soil. Here's an image I have in my office. I think I've shown it before. You can kind of see it's a little, not quite bright enough, but you can get the gist there. Uh, It's a print that my mother got for me by a guy named Jeremy Sams who paints. And I like it because when I look at it, reminds me of the importance of God's word. He's a sower. He's got his bag around his hip. Probably sunrise is my guess, out there throwing the seed out into the ground. I like that picture. It reminds me of the importance of God's word. Um, and as the sower scatters the seed on the break of day, in each one of those tiny little seeds is, is almost the infinite potential for ongoing life, in each one of those seeds that goes tossed out from the bag, an infinite potential for life as the sun shines down upon it and the seed begins to soak up moisture and water, so much potential as the seed, or as we take the metaphor to what Jesus means, the word of God is scattered. And you see, the sower, he doesn't drop them one by one. He's kind of indiscriminately tossing as he goes the seed on his walk, as Jesus did to the large crowds. What did he say? He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. I'm just getting it out there. If you've got the ears to hear it, hear and respond. So much potential. It's good for us to be reminded that God uses his word at the top of this parable for powerful and wonderful things in the world and in your personal lives. Romans 10, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the scattered seed, the word of Christ, to bring faith out of, out of, out of spiritually dead hearts, to bring spiritual life to dead hearts. His word is used to do that, but also to bring ongoing growth, ongoing fruit for those who are, would call themselves a follower of Christ. As Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your seed, your word is the truth. That's why so much of what we do here at Bethany Church is centered around the proclamation of God's word. But it's not just a proclamation in a sermon. Hopefully it's over coffee in the gathering place, over your backyard fence, or with your coworkers or your family members. You don't have to be a preacher to proclaim truth. Because here's the truth, actually. We're all to be that guy. We're all to be seed sowers. It doesn't mean every time you're, you're quoting a Bible verse to somebody. It might mean that. But it, talking about things that matter to us and the message of Jesus and what he's done in our life is, is, is scattering seed. 
Each and every one of us has the responsibility to speak the message of Jesus because Jesus isn't physically doing that here. His spirit is doing that and doing that among us. We are the seed scatterers that live the word, speak the word, live it with integrity so that our lives adorn the gospel with our lives. But not only that, as we talk about the importance of the word to be seed scatterers, we, we should also be good listeners, an expectant attitude that whether we open God's word or speak it to another in a, in a DNA group or a, a growth group or listen to a sermon, that we come expectantly, we are going to hear something from God. Where else is that taking place this morning? What we do right now, we are going to hear from God. God's word as we open it. And as long as I accurately proclaim it or we speak it to each other, we hear from God. It's powerful. We should be expectant. I remember that phrase when I was growing up. Did you ever hear that? That Sunday morning begins on Saturday night. Did you ever hear that growing up? I'm the only one? All right, well. It annoyed me, so I'd be glad you didn't have to hear it. You know, they got somebody back there. Janine heard that. Maybe we grew up in the same type of house, Janine. I don't know. Uh, it, Sunday morning begins on Saturday night. And it used to annoy me because I was like, why does someone care what I do with my Saturday night as long as I'm there on a Sunday morning? It annoyed me. I was annoyed. But as an adult, I kind of realized that as we've grown, you know, that what we're doing as we gather here or at a Bible study or just over coffee with another fellow believer, it, it, it's so important that we need to be expectant. And so there is something about removing some of those roadblocks that might happen on a Saturday night to be ready to hear the word on a Sunday morning. If it is what it says it is, and if we are going to come to hear it expectantly, Maybe that means a walk on a Sunday morning so you feel a little more energized before you get here, to stay alert. It definitely means reading the passage ahead of time, throughout the week maybe, or on the Sunday morning or Saturday night before you go to bed. There's all kinds of ways you can kind of get, get ready to be expectant to hear from God. But as Jesus spoke, as important as the word is, as powerful as it is, he knew he'd get different responses to it. Let's look at the state of the heart in this parable. The value, the importance of the seed, the word. But let's look now at the state of the heart in this parable. There's four, count them, four types of soil that he mentions in the parable. And they are four different heart responses to the message of Jesus. And that's really the focus of this parable because the same seed goes out to all. It's not necessarily what seed goes to which soil. The same seed goes out to all. It's the soil and the response. It's the different heart responses impacted as the parable shows us by different roadblocks, different obstacles that get in the way to faith that we're going to focus on this for a bit. I put together a little chart that might help you. Maybe if you're a person that likes to snap a photo of that just to kind of those that you like to see things laid out linearly and orderly as well. Uh, here's the four soils. The path, the rocky places, the thorns, and then the good soil and how it's described, what kind of growth it has, what are the roadblocks, and then the results. We're going to leave it up there for a while as I talk about it. Jesus explains the parable to his disciples in verses 15 to 17 because, as he says there, you're the ones receiving the mysteries of the kingdom. Others were hearing the words 
And Jesus said, if you've got ears, you better hear this. If you've got ears, listen. Now, we all have ears, right? I think. I see, all, I see ears on everybody in here. We all have ears, right? But what Jesus is getting at there is, can, can those ears hear? Is there a connection from your ears to your heart or to your mind, to your soul, to your inner self, the soil, the heart? We all have them. Jesus explains the parable here. And they're hearing the mysteries. Others are not. They don't understand it, but the same seed's getting sowed. And what's important here as we look at these is that we understand that this is not like a one-time moment of evaluation of your life. It's not just a one-time moment of evaluation. Of course, your life is made up of moments, uh, one-time moments. It's made up of that. But when we hear this parable, a lot of times we think, well, it's just talking about what's my response today. But as it's an agricultural metaphor and story, it's more comprehensive than that. I think what Jesus is getting here is not just today, right now in this moment, but as you look at the comprehensive moments of your life, your spiritual walk up to today, what soil are you? So not maybe just what happened last night or this morning, but what, what is the general state of your life? What kind of soil are you? As we know, the walk of faith is really a marathon, not a sprint. We're looking at a life of evidence here, Jesus. And as I said, of course, it's built on specific moments. But what has been your fruit output through the different growing seasons of life? Times when there, you, there was a lot of water. Times when there was drought. Times when you felt energized. Times when you felt fatigued. And plants don't sprout overnight, do they? Sure, some growth does happen fast, and some do, actually. I went out the, the last week, and all of a sudden, these flowers were in our front area that weren't there the night before. I don't know how that happened, so it did happen overnight. But generally speaking, agricultural growth, you know, can come and go in seasons, and sometimes it's even slow. We're going to talk about this morning how to accelerate that and how to feed it in our final point this morning, but here we're looking at the general sense of a life. Now, clearly, the first soil um, that, it, or the, excuse me, the, the good soil, um, sorry, the first soil, the path, is not a follower of Jesus. That's really clear. It says Satan comes in, snatches the seed like birds. It's like there's no real chance here. Whatever wasn't trampled was snatched away by Satan, which means, in Jesus' mind, Satan's real. That's, all, that's not a real popular concept today to think that there would be this evil spiritual being. And yet, in Jesus' mind, Satan is real. And he actually tries to interfere with someone coming to salvation. We don't want to underestimate and ignore the spiritual battle. We can't miss that. Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He says, this soil, it, 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 Satan comes, snatches the word, the seed away. We don't want to underestimate and ignore the real spiritual battle that takes place over the salvation of souls. We can't. But we also don't want to overestimate Satan either and exaggerate his power. Because just as possible, and I would even say more so possible, is a divine intervention in a life where Jesus absolutely eradicates and overpowers the power of Satan. And I've said it before, Satan's on God's leash. So yes, he's real. Yes, he's intent on devouring the seed and ruining lives. But Christ is more powerful. 
So the first soil is not amenable to God's word. That's clear. That's one of the most clear parts of this parable. So is the fourth soil. That's clear that that's a disciple of Jesus. One and four. So the good soil at the bottom there. That's really clear. The heart is the good soil there, ready to hear the word, and there's a pattern of long-time, fruitful, patient obedience. Look at verse 15. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So those are pretty clear. Is someone been rejecting and never received, never professed any faith at all? They're probably the path. If, if you see a lifelong pattern of trusting Christ and fruitful obedience and, and growth, then they're probably, or you, are the fourth soil. The challenge with the parable is soils two and three. That's the true challenge. Many people have asked, well, were they ever really saved or not? What do we, how do we know? Especially soil two, where a short type of belief is mentioned and then a falling away. And I think Jesus, the parable, I think he's kind of intentionally ambiguous here. He's intentionally being ambiguous here. Because the point of the parable is not actually, was there saving faith or not here? The point of the parable is that it doesn't end well for those who fall into those two descriptions regardless of if they ever had saving faith or not. I'm going to tell you what I think, but that's the point of the parable, is that it doesn't go well for those two. And ultimately, what I think in the context, I think they're falling away from God's word and to reach a point where nothing resembling genuine faith is present. My interpretation would be there probably wasn't a true saving faith there. Because genuine faith never ultimately lets go of Jesus, and he never ultimately lets go of those who are his. He says, no one will snatch you out of my hand. Satan can't come like a bird and snatch you away from me. You're mine. I'm yours. I've given you my spirit. There's a, a genuine holding on. Jesus said, or John said in 2 John 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and Son. There's a deep, unbreakable connection where genuine faith resides in the soil of a good heart. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be seasons. There might be even seasons where it looks like, what's going on in my life? Or what's going on in my family member's life? There are seasons in a life. But the genuine long-term holding on Christ will be evident in the soil that is accepted as seed, the word. As a patient faith, verse 15 says, but it takes patience. Why? Because there are many roadblocks to faith and in our life. Let's look at some of the roadblocks here now. We have a challenge with numbers, or soils two and three. What are some of these roadblocks? Many a Christian, or probably every Christian, if, that, if you call yourself a follower of Christ today, knows about some kind of obstacles that can get in the way of faithful living and desiring to grow, and pursuing o o obedience. Apart from the, the obvious roadblock of Satan in the passage, there's others listed as well here. Uh, riches, a pursuit of, of leisure or comfort. Uh, the suffering of life can be a roadblock. And the testing of life. There's all kinds of roadblocks. There's all kinds of things that get in the way of your spiritual growth. You know some of them. 
you experienced some of them, you might be in the middle of one right now. All kinds of pursuits and influences that get in the way of a patient, faithful obedience. Personal suffering does. Trauma in life does, or even in childhood. Fear of rejection. The day-to-day just responsibilities and busyness of life, or parenting, or work, or the pursuit of a leisure weekend. All kinds of things. All of these things, when pursued apart from Christ, put spiritual development on the back burner. Obstacles, things that get in the way. We all know this feeling. The warning is absolutely relevant for us today, too. These roadblocks, these things that get in the way. As Jesus says, the heart that bears fruit is a patient, steadfast heart. A heart like Jesus's. In fact, Jesus is so clear about the dire circumstances of not responding to God's word, he tells another story about it. It's the second little parable here. Let's take a look at it. There's much at stake, the parable of the light tells us, in listening to being a hearer of God's word. And you could put there a doer. Why? Because every single person in this room is accountable. Every single person on the planet, I should say, is accountable to God. We are all accountable. Jesus says in verse 18, take care. That means like, there's a lot at stake. Be careful. Listen, take care how you hear, Jesus says, because we will all be accountable for what we hear and what we do with that hearing. You know who knows really well that they're accountable Children. Kids know they are accountable. They know their words and actions at any moment are being monitored by some adult. Most of the time. (laughs) Most of the time. Some kids, it's a lot more than others. They call them helicopter parents or tiger mom or there's a bunch of different phrases for those things. But most kids know that there's They're accountable to someone. And that's kind of, in one sense, the idea of what childlike faith is. Some have misunderstood that and thought of childlike faith as just a naive faith or I don't need to go any deeper with God. I've got a childlike faith. That's not what the Bible's talking about. When it talks about a childlike faith, it's someone who knows they are accountable, knows they are dependent upon someone for everything, as a child does, dependent on God, our maker. But as adults, as we grow, as we mature, as we uh, begin to live our own life and, and, and express our independence, it's harder. Whether you follow Jesus today or not, as an adult, we all struggle with the idea that we are accountable. I don't like that. I want to do my own thing. I want to do what I want. I don't want to answer to anybody. I want to go when I go. I want to come when I come. I want to stay when I want to stay, Right? We struggle with that. We're independent, and we hate losing our independence, don't we? Isn't it strange that God does that to each and every one of us towards the end of life? I, I don't, it, it's, part of our, it's part of the process. I know it's hard. We don't like losing our independence. But here Jesus says, his message is like a light, and light exposes darkness. 
and light will not be hidden. And he says, we are accountable. Neither will our words, thoughts, deeds, even done in secret. Let that sink in. Things I have thought in secret, things I have done in secret, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor, let alone your friend, probably. Think about that. The things in your heart, the secret things you've thought or said or muttered under your breath. I said these were hard words today from Jesus, aren't they? We are accountable. He says this message is like light. It exposes the darkness, the things said in secret and hidden in the deep recesses and dark corners, those dusty corners that you've never let anybody else look at in your heart. Similar to the words in the Gospel of John 3, chapter 3, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works for evil. Jesus went on to Nicodemus, for everyone who does the wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, loves the light, wants to be in the presence of the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Not for credit, carried out in God, to the glory of God, to the glory of the light. To the ones who have or here in John 3, come to the light, love the light, accept the light, embrace the light like that soil. Jesus, they will glorify God with their works. Or in Luke chapter 8, they will be given more. Uh, abundance, plenty, and, and, and overflow. But what does Jesus say in Luke 8? Those who do not come to Jesus, they'll be like a people who scurry from the light. They'll feel like they have so much in life. So much abundance, so much overflow, what they've always wanted, but then they, they'll end up with nothing, he says. They'll end up with nothing. All will be taken away. Look at verse 18. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, ah, abundance, more will be given. More will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So let's say you're here and you want to have that soft heart that receives Jesus like the good soil, receives the gift of light and fruitfulness and comes to the light and, and honors God with his or her life. Or maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus. You are a disciple or uh, we like the word apprentice, someone who's living alongside with Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, but you don't have that kind of patient faith. You're irritable. You're angry. You're short with people. You don't see that patient faith, but you want it. You want more joy. You want more joy, more obedience, more of that a hundredfold fruit that Jesus talks about here. What do we do? What do we do? Well, we unpack the parable. We looked at the stakes here. They're high. We're all accountable. Everything will be exposed and come to the light. And some will lose everything. So let's look at the answer now. Let's look at the answer. How do we get that kind of heart? How do we grow and pursue obedience and patient faith and see it become part of our daily response, our default mode, you could call it? 
And it's more than just knowing the truth, as important as that is. It's more than even believing the truth, as important as that is. I don't want to detract from that. It's Jesus is saying, how do we grow in doing the truth? Not just knowing, not just believing, but Jesus is doing the truth. And what we're going to see is that it's all in the family. The family. The family connection, we're calling it in point three. The family connection to God and others. Others, too, grows that heart, grows an obedient, patient heart of faith. Jesus said something so shocking in this parable for his day. So shocking. Verse 21, as they came to him and they said, hey, your mom's here. Your brothers are here. They're outside. They want to they talk to you. Big crowd around him. They probably couldn't get in. Remember, this is a turning point. He's no going back from the crowds. His mother and brothers wanted to find him. We don't know why. Maybe they want to see if he's okay. Maybe he hasn't been home in a while. We want to see you. But he, he answers the people. He says, my mother and my brothers, they're here. They're, the, they're those who are here and they hear the word. They hear my word. They hear the word of God. And they do it. It's shocking. It sounds almost like he's sinning against his mother, you might even say, as some have. Sounds like he's almost sinning against his mom. In a culture where family was everything, the idea of the individual desire, will, independence, spreading your wings, jumping from the nest, not a thing. It wasn't even a cultural thing. Community, family, your culture, your town, your village, that was everything. So for Jesus to say that was scandalous. And it could be so easy to skip over these final verses. As Desi read them, he might have been focused on the heart parable, not even really heard them. And some do. Some commentaries I read, even this week, just kind of they kind of glossed over these verses and just said things like, well, just live like Jesus. Do the right things, be the good heart, and that will make God feel closest to you. So you just live that life. You just do those things, and God will feel like, he feel like you're, you're one of his family. And maybe then God will feel close to you too. But what if what Jesus is saying is not do the right things and I will feel close to you and then you'll feel close to me, which is true, but not very powerful. What if he's saying first, realize the deep family connection we already have. Realize the family connection we have and the identity that gives you and what it means to connect to me like my mom, like my brother. And when you see that and feel that close to me, closer to me than my earthly mother, think about that. And my brother's. And that attachment, that connection to me will make you into the kind of person who hears the word and does it. I think that's what he's saying. I think that's what he's saying. It's a subtle shift, but it's super important. I read all kinds of commentaries this week, people that believe in grace alone, that said, well, Jesus is saying here, go live the word, go do it, and it'll make God feel close to you. I was kind of surprised. I think what he's saying here, realize the connection you have to me and then it will make you live that way. A family connection. 
All through this passage, Jesus is talking about growing a heart that hears the word and does the word. What's he talking about? That's character development. That's developing your character, your integrity, who you are, how you respond in moments when nobody sees you, right? The things that will be exposed. He's talking about growing our character, or you might say spiritual development. How does character develop for us as individuals? How does it develop? Character develops first and foremost in your family. In your family. The family you're born into. Who raises you? Who looks at you? Who who teaches you? Who you see doing things that they do or don't do. That's how it develops, the nuclear family. Yes, beliefs matter. You hear me say that. I'm not subtracting from that at all. The truth of Scripture matters. We just talked about the seed and the word. But transformation now, the heart that Jesus says, the heart we want, comes and grows in a loving, deep, intimate bond with Christ through his Spirit. That's the glue. The Spirit, the glue that sticks us to him like a mother or a father or brother, or sister. It's another way of saying the law can't transform us, but the family message of adoption in the gospel family can and does. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying here, those who have a love bond with me, like, who are my mother and brothers? They're right here. And you can see that we're that connected because they're the ones that hear and do. He's saying the family message, the bond I have, with these family members. We'll give them the identity. We'll give them the joy, the family, the connection that will make them hearers and doers of the word. It's love. It's love. Love. Family love. That's what changes us. That's what transforms us. That's why family imagery is all over the Bible. The family of God. My brothers and sisters. And here's the great thing. That family bond, Jesus isn't saying it's out there somewhere in eternity. He's not saying it's out there somewhere and it'll come someday to you. No, he's not saying that. He is saying that's a reality now. My mother, my brothers, they're right here with me. They're the ones here. It's available now. He doesn't say you'll get close to Jesus when you get to heaven. He's not saying, well, they'll be close to me someday. No, he says, now they have this. Or at least it's available to you now. Because maybe you don't have that. I hope you want that. To feel so close to Jesus. That we're closer than a biological family member who doesn't trust Jesus. That we could be closer than that too. To have a closer bond here than we would have with friends and family members who don't trust Christ, that that thing would make us that close? Do you want that heart, that good soil heart, the one that eats up the word like soil with seed and and grows? Then invest in your family relationship. That's what Jesus says here. The family connection, the glue is what grows us. Invest in your family relationship with God the Father through his Son, through the Spirit as we gather, as we grow deep family connections here. That's why community, our life together matters. That's why church isn't just a building or even just a Sunday morning. It's us. It's who we are. 
the family. Like a baby looking into the face of her smiling mother and father. Or to be a community that creates relationships closer, as I've already said, than your biological family who doesn't trust Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not denigrating his mother because his mother's a follower too. And so are his brothers. He's just saying these bonds supersede even the biological bonds. Sure, a biological bond with a Jesus bond will be even closer, right? But he's saying if you've got a Jesus bond, if you've got a marriage, a family, a mother, a father in Christ, the bond here supersedes even those earthly bonds. That's challenging, isn't it? That's really challenging. But when we do that, we develop an identity as his people. Not just as individuals, that's important, but as a group, as a family. My mother, my brothers, he said. Joyful identities. We become a family of that kind of love. He said, a mother to son love. What is more sweet? A mother to daughter love. What is more sweet? That kind of love. Tested love, the Old Testament calls it. Uh, Loving kindness, covenantal love, or agape in the New Testament. My mother, my brothers, my sisters, they're so connected to me. They're so agape, hesed love attached to me in such a deep, loving relationship that we've got a family identity. That's who hears my word and does it. Because they have the family identity. They know that love. This is who we are, in other words. That's, That's how we would talk. No, this is who we are. Not just me. This is who we are. We're a patient family. We're a gospel family. We're a family who loves God's word. We're a family who bears fruit in keeping with repentance. We're a forgiving family. We're a family who not only hears the word of God, but does it. Look at the verses again, 18. Family love produces family identity, which produces doers of the word. That's how easy it is to skip over something in scripture if we didn't pause today and see it. It's like Jesus is saying as he does elsewhere. He says it all over, so it isn't just one cherry-picking of a verse. If you what? You'll keep my commandments. If you love me. If you love me. Not keep my commandments, and then you'll feel, I'll feel really close to you like a family member. No, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It's all, it's, it's all over Scripture. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Family love is to drive our hearts. Finish the quote here for a couple guys, Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks, to kind of talk about this idea. It's really easy to believe that if our Christian communities have solid biblical teaching and doctrine truth, which is good, and we're encouraged to apply the teaching to our lives, good choices, all right, okay, following, that's good. The Holy Spirit will enable us to understand the truth and make good choices. Power. And that's all well and good. And he says, we expect this will lead to transformation. And, and the formula looks reasonable to modernize, but it has a fatal flaw. It's missing the most important variable, love. The primary mover of character, love, that's what Jesus is saying here. Who are my mother and brothers? Here they are. Love, the primary mover of character, is absent. He says, we're not suggesting that truth Choices and power have no place in discipleship. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is we got to bring back love to the center over and over again. Hesed, he calls it, or agape love. It's central. We got to bring it to a central place. 
Because then what? If you're a mother, a, a brother of Jesus, oh yeah, we are here and doers of the word. We've kind of flipped it around in the church and thought, well, if we could just get enough doctrine in their heads, they'll live the right way. No, Jesus says, yeah, the doctrine's important. We need to know who Jesus is, but you know what's going to drive it? Love. Who are my mother and brothers? You can see it in their lives. That's why, they're see- that's why you're seeing it. They're my mother and my brothers. We're family. We get to come to a family meal now. You know, the ones who we grow our character with are the ones who feed us most when we're kids, right? We got our food from them. We got our milk from them. We got our bread from them. We got our, our, our safety and security from them. That's part of what the meal is today. We're coming back to the one, the one who feeds us, the one who guides us, the one who provides for us, the father, the family giver of all things. So I want us to take a few moments as our servers get ready. We're coming to a family meal now to be nourished and fed in faith by the one who said, oh, you want to see my mothers and brothers? They're right here. Take a few moments. Ask the Lord to reveal to you even the love he has for you, the love he wants you to experience with him, the joy he wants you to have in that family bond. Ask him to show you what's getting in the way of that if you don't have that today. And then the elements will be passed to us and we'll get ready to take. Spend a few moments with the Lord.